Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm so excited to speak with Tiffany Oucher. This is someone I've been hoping to speak with for a while, and I'm just thrilled that you are here. Uh, Tiffany is the Regional Ethics and Compliance Officer and Corporate Counsel for Europe and the Americas at Panasonic Aviation Corporation. Tiffany has spoken and written on many key areas in the ethics and compliance world and is always here to support other members of our community. So as we get started, Tiffany, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and about your path to your current role? Of course, and, and, and you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I am equally excited to be part of this incredible podcast that I've been following for quite some time. So thank you for extending the opportunity for me to be a guest. Um, so yeah, back to your first question, my background and the path to my current role. Um, I don't want to go too far back, um, but for contextual purposes, I'd really love the chance to share a little bit about my life experiences and kind of how those have shaped and influenced me and my values um, as a compliance officer. And when I reflect on how I grew up, I realized that I managed a very full plate. Um, in addition to a rigorous academic curriculum, I participated in many, many extracurricular activities. Um, so those of you listening out there, here we go. Um, <laughs> I was a nationally ranked track athlete. Uh, I played the violin in my school orchestra, the clarinet in our marching band, and I also, all at the same time, studied piano and the ballet. And yes, I 100% agree that this was a full plate, um, but I was determined to be successful in everything I participated in. And it really did become critical for me to figure out how best to strike the correct balance um, to achieve the success that I was aspiring towards. So I later went on to law school and then I practiced law in two major firms in Washington, DC. And while I had a really rigorous work schedule and regularly traveled internationally, um, I wanted to go for more from an extracurricular perspective. And I decided that I would get involved in fitness competitions. And shortly thereafter, I became a professional fitness competitor. So I was balancing both the rigors of my law firm life and the rigors of, you know, preparing for shows and competitions. And I think when I look back, um, that's the point where it really all clicked for me. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, there are three key values that seem to have been instrumental in helping me achieve balance, right? And to also have success, not only in my personal life, but also in my professional life. And I just kind of wanted to touch on those three key values and how the, they have an intersection um, with compliance. And so the first one is discipline. Um, obviously this requires the conviction, right? To do something over and over in order to reach your ultimate goal. And, and with fitness, you know, for me in that lifestyle, it was a multiple gym session a day type of thing, you know, going over and over, managing your food intake, a really regimented lifestyle and also one where you need to exercise patience um, because you don't see changes quickly, you know, it, it really instead happens over time. But through it all, my belief was and still continues to be that you have to put in work to really see results, whatever that work may be. And similarly, 
in compliance, I think it's, it, it, you know, it really is a very similar concept. You know, nothing happens overnight. Much of the process in creating a strong and effective compliance program is about making really good sound decisions, facing challenging decisions, but really doing that over and over and over again. And this may take the form of multiple efforts at messaging or working with difficult stakeholders who may not see why or the benefit or the value and the change that you're trying to make. But you have to approach it from the view that everything takes time in order for you to see change. And as Jim Ron says, and he's someone who I, I think he has some really compelling quotes, um, is discipline is the bridge, right, between goals and accomplishment. And so my advice to all of you listeners out there um, as it relates to discipline is set your goals be disciplined and stick with it and really seek to accomplish it. Um, second value, excellence. And so for me, whether it was music or athletics, um, I approached all activities with the mindset that I'm not here to be mediocre. You know, I'm here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to surpass ordinary standards. I've always wanted to be the best at whatever it is that I set my, my goals on. And so similarly in compliance, I think the same holds true. We should all strive to be the best at what we do, and we should not stop at mediocrity. And my mantra is, if you don't strive for excellence, you really have nothing to be proud of. And lastly, is last value is integrity, right? And so it's about doing the right thing, even if it's hard, and doing the right thing, whether anyone is there or not. And if I tie this back to, you know, when I was competing in fitness, you know, I wasn't always being observed when it came to making sure that I was eating the right thing, but I was showing integrity to myself, right? I was doing what I knew was right because I knew what I was trying to achieve. And it didn't matter whether my coach was watching or whether, you know, a peer was watching. I did it because I had set goals and I wanted to accomplish them. And that's exactly what we're looking to impress upon in the realm of compliance when we're dealing with employees or stakeholders or change. Um, we want them, we want our stakeholders and we want organizations to uphold the highest integrity, regardless of the challenge that comes with doing so. And honestly, whether or not anyone is looking. And so with that, I've applied these values directly to my career in compliance and really do feel that they've fundamentally helped me as I continue on my professional trajectory to evolve and grow. And so now, currently, I oversee two large regions for Panasonic Avionics, both Europe and the Americas. And discipline, excellence, and integrity have helped us forge ahead as we've looked to enhance our program. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because all of those things, those three things are really pillars for wherever you are or whatever, you know, one is doing in their life. It's interesting as you talk about the fitness component of it, um, people who've listened to this here that I talk about you know, taking boxing classes or, or do and doing that. One of the things for me that was really became the challenge for it, which is a little different, was knowing I was not going in the ring. Spoiler alert, <laughs> there are not conveniently to find fights, but also that it was something that I was doing to strengthen myself and do it to be the best version of myself as opposed to the best at it. And, you know, I think that it's really significant to look at these different parts of your life of, you know, how you're going to be the best and how it makes you um, stronger in your career and also, you know, in living your life on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, especially for someone like you, who's had so many different experiences. I mean, for those who don't know how intense Washington, D.C. and New York law firms can be, that in itself demands, 
you know, 24 seven excellence in a lot of ways. And you did that. And then the next thing that you did before Panasonic, when you were at Axiom, you, you had a very different experience because you were seconded to companies. Um, you were a regulatory and compliance attorney. So you were supporting their legal and compliance departments. Um, right. yeah, what, what were the highlights and learnings there? Um, and I mean, there you're, you're, you're coming in, you're being, you know, you're, you're a leader, you're being the best, and you're also a guest with some, you know, special access at the same time. Sure, sure. And I love that reference, um, a guest with a special access, and I might coin that <laughs> that later on um, in, in future discussions or dialogues. But yeah, during my time with Axiom, um, I had some incredible learning experiences that spanned various industries, varying compliance programs. And when I say that, I mean, you know, some of which were in their infancy stages while others were more developed and were really, the focus was more about refinement and enhancement. Um, and also I was fortunate to have worked directly with chief compliance officers or CECOs, you know, with different leadership styles. And I think all of those types of exposures have really helped me kind of understand how I would like to be as a leader and how I define um, and look to develop a program that I think will be successful. Um, one learning for me has been comparing and contrasting each organization, right? And, and, and how compliance can be achieved successfully despite what you're presented with. So if you are in a program where it's in its infancy stages, but yet you know, you're, you're stretched on resources, you still can have success. You need to be resilient. You know, you need to be able to pivot. But, you know, something I learned is that that's exactly it. You know, there's no one size fits all approach. You know, there's no one template necessarily that you can apply. You really have to be proactive about getting a lay of the land, understanding how that organization's ecosystem works and putting all of that together and then figuring out, you know, what are the next best steps? Um, and again, you have to have the ability to pivot be resilient, and then understand that whatever approach that you've tailored for that organization, you know, will it work? And do you have the buy-in of those stakeholders? You know, it's key to ensure that they too are bought into what you think will be helpful and how that kind of aligns with their business objectives. So that's another thing that I've learned. Um, and in addition, I would say, let's not overlook the importance of forging strong relationships very early on. And, 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 you know, some of the listeners might say, okay, why, right? Why aren't I doing more so a risk profile, right? As the DOJ may have mentioned last summer, like that's really important, understanding the, the company's risk profile, particularly in light of the pandemic. And, and my view is the chain, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? So getting to know the stakeholders and other functions and across the organization, you know, understanding their nuanced or discrete challenges and also understanding where the intersections with those business functions uh, lie uh, as it relates to compliance will be of great help as you try to build out or enhance a program. Um, in my view, you need to know about those vulnerabilities in the chain early on in order to plan the most effective path forward. And also, um, you know, I just mentioned a bit about COVID and I, and I wanted to touch on that here because that's kind of our, our reality right now, right? And so clearly COVID has drastically changed the ways we interact. Um, many of us are largely working virtually and some of us may even be transitioning to new roles in new organizations or maybe even new roles within their current organizations. 
And I would say that, you know, regardless of your status, um, don't let the current circumstances be a deterrent for proactive outreach. You know, take the time to really reach out to people, set up virtual coffees or, 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 or you know, virtual rooms where people can all come online and, and you can get to know people and have some dialogues that have to do with things outside of work. You know, that's a really great way of getting to know people, but also establishing trust, um, you know. My view, persistence does pay dividends. And I would go as far as to say that in this particular period of time, it's right to apply you know, the three values that I set out earlier in this conversation. Um, you know, be disciplined about your efforts to, to obtain more transparency from your stakeholders and to get those lines of communications to open up. I mean, what, who are we as compliance officers if we're not kind of being read into what those issues are or where risks lie? Also, um, obtain excellence in our programs and our efforts should not be thwarted in light of these challenging times. You know, the DOJ has made clear that the pandemic is not preventing them from evaluating and enforcing against organizations who are not upholding um, effective compliance programs. So this is not the time to, to sway from aspiring to excellence. I would actually say <laughs> now more than ever, we should all be striving for excellence. And then lastly, as compliance officers, I would say continue to uphold integrity as a key pillar, right? That's something that underlies pretty much every program. And I think regardless of the pandemic and these unprecedented times, we should really continue to do so. Yeah, and I do think when you when when you were talking, one of the things to keep in mind as well about having coffees, virtual coffees, or Zoom rooms, or other things, no matter where you are and what phase you are at an organization, it helps a lot when people know that you actually are concerned about what's going on on a day to day basis before there's a crisis or before a risk assessment, because then they're, they they trust you, and exactly. they're willing exactly. to share what's going on day to day and something they may not even think could be a problem. They'll, they'll talk about in conversation and you're able to solve problems proactively. And I do think that's, I, I, I think a lot about integrity because really our work product is our word and our ability to respond to our you know, clients, customers, external agencies. Um, and I think that, you know, when you, you just hit the nail right on the head about that. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, it's, it's critical that you, and I'm actually, as we go through some of these questions, you know, I, I want to talk a bit more about that, but I, I absolutely agree that it's critical to get in front of these people from before an issue occurs, develop those relationships and solidify those bonds before an issue occurs so that they are willing to kind of move forward and talk to you and, and, and notify you of any sort of issues before things get so far down the pipeline that it's, you know, a little bit hard to kind of walk it back. Yep, the apology, the, the act first, apologize later, and hope for the best approach is not always the greatest of them. You know, but, but I mean, we've all had to live through that once or twice. Um, sure, you know, sure. You know, then that goes on to the never waste the good crisis, but that's subject for another day. <laughs> but um, you know, one of the things too, though, with, with all of that, well, is it you know, how you may interact with somebody in the U.S. versus in in Europe or other regional things? You know. You've also talked a lot about in the past about addressing cultural differences. Um, I know you reference Aaron Myers, the culture map. Um, if you have a practical tip on how to communicate with all these different, you know, stakeholders or individuals formally or informally, um, what would that be to you? That's a great question. I mean, first and foremost, this is like kind of a softball one, but 
if it isn't already, this book should absolutely be part of your compliance library. Um, I've relied on it on a number of occasions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've pretty much um, sustained an international practice from when I started practicing in this field. Um, and I've worked with stakeholders all over the world. And it's so incredibly important, in my opinion, to be able to find that fine line balance between embracing and appreciating culture and then creating an effective program that actually takes into account cultural norms so that you're able to encourage positive behavior that those cultural individuals feel like do take into account, you know, what their challenges are and do make them feel as if you were listening, right? When you were talking with them about what it is that they're facing and how things really operate um, in their jurisdiction, because it, it's not all the same. As I said earlier, you know, there isn't a one size fits all approach or template that can be applied. And there's so much value in Erin's book. And she has quite a few um, diagrams and metrics and things that you can use to really plot out the way that you speak with your stakeholders and really take a targeted approach that, that feels mindful and personal. Um, and also I wanted to say, uh, interestingly, you know, we're talking about addressing cultural differences, but I like to believe that despite those differences, there is a common thread, right, that runs through developing a sound ethical culture in a particular organization. And so to use a simple example, I often compare building an ethical culture to constructing a house, right? You need a strong foundation to ensure the integrity of the structure. And then additional key foundational pillars, which frankly, I think are often overlooked are empathy and emotional intelligence. And back to your point, um, Lisa, earlier, you know, these really help to open up building the door, open up doors to building trust, you know, eliciting candor, honesty, and having that open line of communication, which again is key to success as a compliance officer. And so for me, Connecting on a personal level, you mentioned this too, <laughs> before mm -hmm. focusing on compliance-related issues is really critical, right? Because that's when people feel you're invested in them and you're invested in what affects them. And that's when those bonds really start to, 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 to forge and, and, and develop. Um, and, and, and there's something to be said, right, about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and then connecting with them on a deeper level and even resolving conflicting viewpoints without tension or resistance. I mean, this shows them that you get it, right? You understand them and you can come and meet in the middle despite having potentially different perspectives or views. And I think that that will then pretty much ensure that they will be more likely to come to you to resolve an ethical dilemma and also will encourage them to act with integrity instead of sweeping a potential issue under the rug. And so you know, once I get to that point where I feel like that connection is strong and I feel that the comp that that confidence level has has evolved as it relates to trust, you know, that's when I feel that that quote house that I mentioned earlier, you know, that that the house that I attempted to, con to construct is sound. Yeah, I mean, it's a great analogy. Ever since you you gave that one to me at some point, you know, some point in time a couple of months ago, I, I have to confess, I've stolen that one. If you're taking special access, I think I'm taking the house. Um, but it really is. I mean, and I think the way that you were just speaking about ethical decision making, it's just it's an important pivot for us in compliance when you think about it as ethics and compliance, because when people realize you're trying to help them make tough choices as opposed to a right and wrong definition, 
I think that helps build the same relationships you're talking about. And culturally, you know, the, the way things are Im- implemented may be different, but the view of trying to do the right thing pretty rarely is. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, one thing you mentioned earlier as you were, were talking about coronavirus, and I wanted to go back to that, and also something that you've been talking about recently, is that you've spoken about diversity and inclusivity during during this virus, you know, part of the Women in Law Summit. But generally, you know, over the last year, if I think of 2020 and all of its uniqueness, um, you know, there are two big, big things to me, obviously COVID and then the Black Lives Matter and social justice movement. I mean, I think they're critical to all of us. And what do you think that ethics and compliance roles should be in promoting the diversity, equality, and inclusion in organizations? I mean, this is a simple one in my view. I think we need the organizations or organizations generally to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? And who better to be on the front lines um, than the compliance function? And some may argue, why? Like, why compliance? Why not some other function or a dedicated function to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And for me, I think, you know, the compliance function, who are we really fundamentally? If you strip away all of the other things, you know, the ones who reinforce regulatory requirements or the ones who are, quote, the department of no. I mean, ultimately, the compliance function we're ambassadors, right? Who should be actively modeling behaviors that are aligned with our organization's culture. And so we're responsible for holding employee employees accountable if they fail to uphold underlying pillars of the organization's values. And so in my view, if an organization is truly, truly serious, right? About improving their culture and amplifying the importance of a diverse equitable and inclusive environment, I believe they should partner with compliance in an effort to move the needle in this space. Um, I don't know, Lisa, or those who are listening, if you've heard of Edward Hall's cultural iceberg model, um, but strongly suggest you look it up if you haven't. But just quickly, you know, to, 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 to add a little color here, under Hall's theory, he says that just like an iceberg, um, Part of a culture is visible and readily readily obvious, right? So those are the things that are quick wins, you know, we can readily fix, easy, easy to address because, you know, they're out in the open. But it's the larger portion of a culture below the surface in the depths, you know, <laughs> um, of that iceberg. That's where we really need to spend more time, right? Because that's where things like employee values, their thought patterns, their biases, all of those things, that's where they lie. And so it's this meaningful behavioral data and metrics um, that I think will allow organizations to actually effectuate change. And so, you know, there's no disputing it that there will inevitably be challenging conversations amongst employees um, and leadership and difficult issues to navigate. But I think, you know, we really do need to spend the time digging into what lies below the tip to effectively, of the iceberg, to effectively make the changes that we want to see. And I think the ethics and compliance function is the perfect partner to help to undertake that task. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I this is something I think about a lot and it's something we've talked about on the podcast and Mary, we, we have an ongoing discussion and dialogue about social justice and Black Lives Matter, which we continue, you know, we have had a series, but now we also, it's an ongoing thing. It's not every week, but it's a part of all of our discussions and thoughts. 
Um, And the reason I wanted to mention that also is that, you know, how would you you talk about actively committing to diversity and inclusion and, you know, advice to the, this is, we mostly have uh, women listening to our, but women and men that are in this audience. And how do we best promote this values and be allies to people of color, other minorities? Because, you know, globally, there are many different concerns that we all have to keep in mind. What's your thought on that? Sure. I mean, I think the biggest, my biggest advice is jump in and get involved, right? Look to see what your organization is doing internally. Um, You know, in light of some of the events that happened last year, um, Black Lives Matter, social justice movements, you know, we've seen a lot of change in this space. Organizations are hiring diversity inclusion officers or, you know, other like roles that focus specifically on these types of issues. We've seen kind of the evolution of task forces that are that have that have been dedicated to kind of working working towards um, bringing more visibility to and coming up with proactive initiatives to address concerns around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Working groups also, and also the engagement of third party um, consultants, right, who are engaged to come in, assess company policies, practices, pipelines, and procedures. And, and, and at my organization, specifically at Panasonic, you know, we have a fantastic chief culture officer named Heather Popovich, who she has a key role in working with others in our organization and our parent organization, you know, as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So first and foremost, I would say, get out there, see, see what's happening and see how you can, you know, proactively offer your services um, and time to help the organization kind of ramp up as it relates to addressing these, these you know, very um, important and current concerns. I would also advocate for proactive outreach to peers um, who may be able to let you know about external opportunities. You know, not only can there be helpful opportunities in your organization, but there are a lot of organizations who are soliciting help from those who may not, you know, externally. Um, And so I I would say that get involved in that way, too. You know, through my network, you know, I had the opportunity to become an advisory board member for an organization dedicated to diversity, equity and inclusion. And I'm also part of a couple of um, D&I working groups um, that are not connected to my organization. So, again, I would say if this is an, an issue that's important to you and you're looking to promote these values, um, and, and to be an ally and to help people of color and other minorities, I would strongly encourage you to, you know, look both internally and externally and see where, you know, you can make the strongest impact and, and contributions. Yeah, I think those are all great, great ideas and, you know, good places to start and to continue. Um, you know, and I think that as you've talked about all those and you've talked about things that you're doing you just you just a minute ago, talking about different groups that you're involved in. And, you know, you've touched on this throughout. Um, you particularly seem to bring the, the pillars that you talk about, discipline, excellence and integrity um, to everything you do. And that includes um, how ethics and compliance, it's not just a career for you or for many of us, but it's really a passion. At the same time, you know, there's this this idea of work life balance that everybody that, you know, sees very differently. And one of the things that's kind of also your extracurricular and your one of your hobbies as well is writing and speaking. Um, and it enhances your work. How, how do you balance doing that as something that's kind of, quote, you know, 
for fun and for passion as much as balancing it with the amount of, you know, day-to-day work and um, tasks that need to get done for you to be as successful as you are in, in your current role. Uh, thank you for asking that. Um, I, I really am excited about this particular extracurricular activity. Um, I've always been passionate about ethics and compliance, generally speaking. Um, and for those who may not know, I studied psychology in college, um, and I and I really do try to keep my finger on the pulse on on you know new and current theories, um, not only in psychology but also as it relates to behavioral science and organizational behavioral theories. And so quick shout out to Dan Ariely. I think he has some really incredible literature out there that that, that has certainly served me well in some of the, the work that I've been doing or have done. Um, and in my view, to succeed in this space, you know, you have to demonstrate empathy um, and, and you have to understand individuals' motivations, beliefs, and triggers so you can get ahead of misconduct. And so for me, once the pandemic hit, um, I became even more proactive about reaching out to folks online who I may not even know, um, but I found their profiles interesting or the work that they had done or are doing interesting, or maybe I had heard them on a podcast or a panel and wanted to learn more from their perspective. And what I've come to find is that the compliance community is so incredibly welcoming, informative, um, open to sharing ideas, collaborative, and I'm so happy to have had the time, had the opportunity to contribute. And so in addition to my work obligations, um, to maintain balance, I just make it an effort to carve out time, really plan, you know, what it is that I'm looking to do versus what it is that I'm responsible for from a professional perspective, my, 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 my work uh, responsibilities, um, and carve out time to stay involved and, and, and contribute thought leadership as often as possible. Because I, I believe that, you know, compliance does not stop once you leave your office. And I think that's, you know, in part why um, I'm so passionate about it, because there's so much that as compliance officers, we can continue to do even when we leave our, you know, organizational programs. I think it's a compliance is a mindset, and, you know, and it's a value. And I believe that through my values of discipline, excellence and integrity, you know, I'll continue to maintain this balance and continue to have opportunities to engage with like-minded people like you, Lisa, and others. I'll take it. (laughs) Share ideas and and develop strong bonds. So that's something that's really important to me. You know, I, I really do like the fact that I can kind of compartmentalize what I do for my organization versus, you know, how I continue to try to remain relevant and have connections and continue to learn from others, you know, outside of my professional context. So that's, that's kind of how I seek to achieve that balance. Well, you're doing a great job on it because I don't, sometimes I don't know how you do all the things that you do. And, you know, I thank you so much for sharing, you know, your, your wisdom, your insight with all of us and, you know, how all of the things that you've done with your, with your pillars and your values. And I think that they're ones that we can all share Um, So on behalf of Mary and of me, thank you, Tiffany, so much for being here with us on the Compliance Podcast Network. And I know that a lot of our audience is in the United States and it is a a rough time here. So I want everybody to take care of themselves, stay safe, and um, you do the same, Tiffany. And thanks so much to all. Thank you so much for having me. And I echo Lisa's sentiments. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and, you know, we will get to the other side. So hang in there. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.